Well, I can really intended to continue my study on the book of Mark, but as I was praying, and I don't realize why until later, why God was kind of changing the topic a little bit. It's going to be a little bit different. We can talk about Christmas, but in a different, different manner. During Christmas season, there's always more going on than just waiting for the 25th, right? The kids wait for the 25th. But as parents, we know there's a whole lot of other things going on in our lives. Work goes on, life goes on, and hardship goes on, as we saw this week. People are going through life and facing other issues and difficulties that may overwhelm their desire to celebrate Christmas. In other words, life goes on in spite of Christmas. I want to look at a biblical issue or a biblical account of such an issue. It's tied in with Christmas, but it's not really a part of Christmas, and we'll see that in a moment. It's about a family just serving the Lord, even though their lives might not have been all that they thought they were going to be. And I believe there's a lot of people, maybe more than most, that are in the same situation. That life really didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to be. So what about this account surrounding Christmas could we hear that could hopefully minister to us? Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Now we read from Luke chapter 2 this morning, but we're going to go back and see what's happening at the same time. It's an account you don't probably hear a lot about, especially at Christmas time, but I thought it would be good to talk about again. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we're going to read most of the chapter. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, the most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of King Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel, will bring, he will bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, 
because you do not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray as we go through the study of your, your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit is able to minister to the hearts and the minds of each one of us here, each one of us online. Allow us to receive and glean from your word things to bless us and encourage us during these times. In Jesus' name, amen. Not saying a word. I'm talking complete silence. God was for over 400 years. The muteness from the creator of the universe. The one who said that Earth is but a footstool to him. Was about to break his silence. shall name him John. A son? You will have great joy, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will turn many to the Lord their God. He will come with the power of Elijah. Elijah? He will prepare the people for the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. But, but I'm an old man. My wife... I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And it was He who sent me to give you this good news. You will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for what he has spoke will surely be fulfilled.
begins. The ritual becomes radiant, and the faithful become fathers. When God speaks, the heavens rise and the earth bows. Hope grows where hurt was rooted. Time becomes eternity. And he leads us to holy ground that was once hollow. Yes, my friends, God is just getting started. Can you imagine hearing from God that way? I probably would have been mute because I'd have asked a lot of questions. Before we get to the certain passages we're going to talk about, let's do a little history of what's going on in Israel. The beginning of Luke is one of the two accounts of the Christmas story. And up to this point, it was a dark time for Israel. The people had not heard from God in over 400 years. No prophets had been called. No prophets had been risen from their ranks. The spiritual leaders were far from God and had gotten tangled up with over 400 years of tradition that basically pushed God's law out to the side in favor of what they had wanted to do on their own. Now, we kind of see a little bit of that today. Not that God's not speaking because I believe God still speaks. But a lot of times tradition gets in the way of what God is actually going to do. Let me ask you a question. Does the world or even the church have traditions that may be good, but not really what God has required or called us to do? They might be traditions of the world or even Christmas traditions. Now, traditions aren't bad. How many have traditions? As long as we keep the traditions in perspective. We have a tradition of having a kid's children play. Good tradition. We have a tradition of having a candle lighting service on Christmas Eve, by the way, in case I didn't announce that. That would be December 24th, right? Six o'clock. Now, the Bender family has a tradition of giving PJs every Christmas. From the time our kids were little, and now the grandkids, so that's a tradition that we have. We actually thought about, you know, their kids are grown and gone. Do we still do that anymore? Oh, yeah, Dad, you got to keep doing it. Mom, you got to keep doing it. And so it's not like they don't know what they're getting. So it's a tradition. Are any of these things wrong or sinful? No. But I can think of a few denominations that have forsaken God's laws for what society dictates and forgotten God's laws and replaced them with traditions that they thought have been around for hundreds of years. And a lot of times traditions get so ingrained in us or in society or even churches that we don't recognize the tradition has pushed aside what God is going to do. I have that effect on most people. Now, I was raised in a, in a denomination that was, it was tradition. It was the same service every week, exactly the same. I went, in fact, when I, I hadn't been in a church for 35, 40 years, and my mom's funeral, they had my mom's funeral at the church. And it was exactly the same as I remember it. And I could tell you what was happening next. I could tell you exactly what they were going to say, when the bell was going to ring. I knew all of that. Why? Because it was ingrained in my head. 
And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can let tradition come in and push out what God's law actually says. The traditions that I was raised with are kind of antithetical to what God's law says. Now, we have to be constantly on guard and make sure that we don't make the preferences of our time, what is preferred currently, or traditions in a church that hinders or cancels out the gospel for what God wants to do in the upcoming future. Now, is this sermon against traditions? No. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on the topic of tradition. I just want to set up what's happening in Zechariah's life at this particular moment. Because Jewish traditions at that time were very common, very prevalent, and Jesus even addressed this later in his ministry. In Mark chapter eight, or 7, verse 8, Jesus says to the, to the religious folk, he says, you ignore God's specific laws and substitute your own traditions. Then he said, you reject God's laws in order to hold on to your own traditions. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I could have given to you. You let them disregard their needy parents, and as such, you break the law of God in order to protect your own tradition. And this is only one example. There are many, many others. So I'm trying to set the stage of what's going on in, in society, the church at that moment, or Jewish tradition at that moment. It's very hard to be a devout Jew during this time. So now we established a problem with traditions. It was a tough time being a Jew, not following traditions of leaders, trying to follow what God says against what everybody else is telling him to do. And now we come to verse five and it says, in this time, in the time of King Herod, all this stuff's going on. There was a priest named Zechariah. So we'll stop right there. Not only were devout Jews in tough time with their own leaders and their own government officials and their family was also against them in many cases. Now this is Herod the Great. He was, he was an Edomite, so he's nominally Jewish. The Roman government had appointed his grandfather and his father and now him to be a tetrarch. A tetrarch was basically the ruler over one quarter of the province of, of Rome at that time. And history tells us that he had nine or ten wives, one of whom he had executed for no apparent reason. He was the one who ordered the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem. So you get an idea of how wicked this guy was. So you have the government against you. You have your own tradition, your own nationality against you. You have sometimes your only family against you. This is the tradition. This is what's going on in Zechariah's life at this moment. And not only that, not only the religious leaders, but his own people who had followed the traditions left him. So basically, in a sentence, it was not an easy time to serve God faithfully. And yet he did. But not even all those odds could keep him and Elizabeth away from doing the right thing, serving God. And I wrote down here, no matter how dark the times are, God always has a of people who will follow him in spite of what's going on in the world around them. And how many know the world's just going to continue to get worse? We should not be surprised at the, the bad things we hear in the news 
it should help us to press into what God has called us to do. And it's easy to get caught up in everything that's happening in the world and even what's happening in a lot of churches today and follow them rather than following God's word. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful to do what God had called them to do. Now, getting to the topic we're talking about. There's a lot of people and families that Christmas celebration is not joyful for them. Be it family issues, financial problems, health problems, job problems, loss of your spouse. Not really a good time to celebrate. And yet, you remain faithful to God in spite of it. You're here. You're worshiping God. When life doesn't seem to be turning out the way you thought it was going to turn out. And this is exactly where Elizabeth and Zechariah were. Luke 1 verse 5. In the time of King Herod, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly tribe of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the commandments and regulations blamelessly. Remember the atmosphere that's going on around them. Everybody appeared to be against them. There was a small remnant of Jewish people that were following the God's law, and they were the priests at the time. And in spite of the difficulties surrounding them, they remained faithful to God. I'm sure they had pressure on them from their family, from their friends, from other Jewish people, from the leaders, from the government, all this pressure on them to stop doing what you're doing. Why can't you just conform to what everybody else is doing? Don't you see that you're old-fashioned? The Pharisees made new rules. Those are what you should be following. Forget about God's word. Follow the Pharisees. Simply trusting God's word alone is foolishness. Listen to those in leadership around you. And here's a good one. And I'm sure they heard this. You don't need to read God's word for yourself. Let those who are professionals tell you what it says and you trust them. Now you think that's funny. But a friend of mine actually went to his priest when he was newly saved. And he says, you know, I'm going to read the Bible. Help me to understand what I'm reading in the Bible. And this priest told him, don't worry about reading it. We'll read it for you. And you come on Sunday morning and we'll tell you what it says. Crazy, right? How often do you see, quote, theologians on TV as the expert on faith? And what they say is totally wrong according to the Bible. We all know the phrase, professionals built the Titanic, amateurs built the ark. Maybe you're experiencing similar issues, hardship, or loss. And people keep telling you how to feel. But you just don't have that Christmas spirit. So here we have a couple of Elizabeth and Zechariah who, who in spite of all the negativity around them are still faithful to God. You ever entertain the idea of conforming to the world? Just be honest. I wish it would be a lot easier if just conformed to everything around you. You ever been tempted to disregard your trust in Christ because it seems that everyone tells you that what you believe is wrong or foolish or antiquated? 
It's going to happen if it's not happening now. Let's look a little bit further into the story. Verse 7. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well along in years. So now, you're getting grief from the outside. You're getting grief from your own people. You're getting grief from the government. And you're getting grief from the religious, religious leaders. And now, you can't have kids. Life for this couple who were faithful was not perfect. Life had not gone the way that they, I'm sure, had planned or hoped. For most women, and especially women in Bible times, having children is a big deal. Right? Big deal. And look how she expressed it when God actually shows up in verse 25. It says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She herself and all of society considered not being able to have children a disgrace. And everyone would have known about it and everyone would have referred to her life as a disgrace before God. And And since they were faithful... I am sure that this was a constant matter of prayer for them. When they were younger and they couldn't have kids, I'm sure they went to God many, many times. One commentary says this, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both faithful people, yet they had been suffering. Some Jews at that time did not believe in a bodily resurrection, so their hope of immortality was in their children. In addition, children cared for their parents in their old age and added to the family's financial security and social status. Children were considered a blessing, and childlessness was seen as a curse. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been childless for many years, but God was waiting for the right time to encourage them and take away their disgrace. How many times do you think they read that part about Hannah in Samuel? The Bible says that God closed her womb. And the Bible says that Hannah prayed in bitterness. How many times do you think Elizabeth read that account? And Hannah got a baby. And Elizabeth didn't get anything yet. 1 Samuel 1.10 says, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept and prayed to the Lord. How many of you see other folks, maybe not even believers, having what appears to be a great life? Their life is going humming along pretty good, and yours isn't. It's not what you thought it was going to be. Hardships and struggles come up, and it's not like the next person. They're reading that going, well, Hannah got a baby. Lord, how come I can't have a baby? And she was still young when Hannah had a baby. So, Lord, I'm getting up there. Well, how come no baby? And I'm sure this couple expressed the same feeling from time to time. I can imagine that Elizabeth... And Zechariah sometimes were bitter. And how many of us have prayed the same way? Lord, how come I don't have this? How come I'm sick? How come my family's not working? How come my job isn't working? How come, how come, how come? And you look at a person who's not serving the Lord and their life seems to be great. And this is the part that kind of got to me. Here we have a couple that 
most likely faced opposition from every single vantage point in their life. Their family, the priests had fallen away, leaders of the Jews had fallen away, not too many people to talk to about this probably. They knew they couldn't start or rock the boat. They couldn't really step out of faith. They had nothing but their trust in the Lord. And sometimes God leaves us alone so we can place our trust in him and nothing else. They simply lived their lives for God and continued in their obedience. When things aren't going your way, remain obedient. Remain faithful. Because you never know what's going to come down the pike. How God is going to use you. So they have years of, un, of being faithful and years of unanswered prayer. How many of you have been praying for something for years? I haven't gotten it yet. We prayed for Marion for years. Oh, God, God got it. Read through Hebrews chapter 11. They call it the faith chapter. It details all the accounts of God answering dramatically and miraculously. Hebrews 11.32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. He quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Praise God. Hallelujah. God, all these, all these wonderful things. And we believe, as believers, trust our lives to these. And we look at these verses when our life goes south. And we've all experienced similar situation where God does the impossible. God just shows up in a powerful way. And we praise God. We keep on praying and expecting more of the same. But in the same chapter, the next paragraph details those who God did not deliver. Verse 35, others were tortured, refused to be released so that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging so others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes on the ground. Do you think these folks prayed for God to intervene as much as the guys in the first paragraph? Do you think they trusted God to deliver them? Do you think they read, I think it's Psalm 34 where it says God delivered them from all their troubles? What did, say, what did God say about this group of believers? The ones who didn't receive what they believed God for. Verse 39 says they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. We keep praying. Maybe God shows up like the first paragraph. Maybe God doesn't show up like the second paragraph. But we keep praying. Because we don't know what God is going to do in the future. Zechariah and Elizabeth both served God faithfully in spite of not having everything go their way. 
Neither this couple nor Hannah knew what God was going to do. But they kept petitioning God. So I'm thinking, at least for Zachariah and Elizabeth, they probably got to the point where they stopped praying about it. They were old. And naturally they couldn't have children. So I'm, I'm thinking they probably stopped praying about it at that point. Maybe in the back of their minds they'd offer a prayer now and again, but looking at the situation they thought, well, it's probably not going to happen. You ever get that way? You know, it's, I've been praying for years. Probably not going to happen. You never know. You never know what God's going to do. So in their eyes, God didn't answer this point, and I'm guessing that God's not going to answer now. But you know what? They were faithful anyways. They did not get what they thought they were going to get at this age in their life, and they were still faithful. We don't know how God is going to respond to every difficulty in our personal lives as well as our church life. We have no idea what's going to happen, what God's going to do tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. But we continue to serve him faithfully and trust that his response is perfect. Now I keep coming back to this situation in Daniel when the three boys were getting ready to be thrown in the fire. Daniel 3.16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. Now, some people think that's a lack of faith. I think that's true faith. They acknowledge that it is a possibility that they're not going to survive. It's not a lack of faith or trust to acknowledge a possible outcome. Faith is not intellectual certainty. Faith is trusting that God is infinitely good, infinitely merciful, infinitely loving, and will always do the right thing, whether it appears right to us or not. And it will be something that our finite minds cannot understand. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God heals? Do you have health insurance? Why? Do you think God will protect your home? Do you have homeowner's insurance? Why? You buy those because you acknowledge it's a possibility that that might happen. It's not a lack of faith. It's a possibility. You, you recognize that as a distinct possibility of what might happen. So you prepare. You don't, you don't operate presumptuously with God. The three guys going into the furnace trusted God with whatever outcome it was going to be. The bottom line is this. Answered prayer or unanswered prayer should not affect the faith of those of us who trust God. We should keep on praying and keep on trusting. And that should be our example today. Our dedication to serving God should not be based on whether or not gives, God gives us what we want and pray for. How many of you received, when you were kids, your parents got you every single thing you ever asked for? And parents, how many of your kids get every single thing they ask for? No hands. Well, Babies get everything they ask for right now. But as they get older, they're going to ask for more. 
and you're going to have to say no. God eventually did give Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Hannah a child, but their dedication to the Lord was not based on expecting something from God. They prayed for it and they believed it, but they were faithful regardless of what the outcome was going to be. Because what they were waiting for was more than a baby. They, because they were faithful, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for the promised Messiah, who at this point had not yet arrived. They believed in what was promised to them throughout the Old Testament. Regardless of life's circumstances, they knew a better time was coming. Whether they were going to see it or not, they knew it was coming. Guess what? Our Messiah arrived. But we should still live like they did. Believing what is promised to us. What's the promise? A better time is coming. Right? That God will be there to encourage you and strengthen you and carry you through every one of life's difficult times. And at the end, better time is coming. A time when we will see those who have gone before us in Christ. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah. Surely. Hallelujah. A time when all of our earthly problems are gone. Health, family, financial, all gone. Poof. A time when all of God's promises will be fulfilled completely. Not yet. It's coming. God answers prayer now, but whether he answers it now or not is based on his goodness to us and what is coming in the future. I used this analogy before here. I used it in the class this morning. You go to school for 12, 16 years, however many. And at the time you're in it, it's like it's never going to end. You're a teenager. You just can't wait to get out of high school. Can't wait to get, wait to get out of college. But you spend those 12 or 16 years because you know that at the end of that, you have a whole lot more life to go that that 12 years is going to benefit you on. So you endure the 12 or 16 years knowing that, well, okay, I'm 20, 21 when I get out. I have another 50 years or so or 60 years to benefit from what I've got struggling these 12 years. That's what heaven's like. The Bible says these uh, troubles we experience here are short-lived compared to eternity. When we struggle here and we have hardships here, it's, the time span is so short compared to what we have in eternity. That's the hope we have. That's the promise that we're waiting for. And all this because God's first promise, what was the first promise? Genesis 3, right? Across the head of the serpent. God's first promise was fulfilled when a baby was born in a small town in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. The beginning of fulfilling the last promise. What's the last promise? Eternal life to all who believe. The gifts we receive this year and every year will eventually be gone. But the gift that God offers us today never going to be gone. Now how many of you have opened gifts yet. 
Okay, we did. Uh, just a couple, just a couple. You're all waiting for the 25th to open the gifts, right? Or Christmas Eve, however your tradition is. Tradition. Whatever you're going to open on that day, next year will probably be gone. Or lost, or broken, or sold if you don't like it, or returned if you don't like it. But what God gives us in salvation is forever. That's what we live for. That is the hope we have in spite of what may or may not happen in this life. We're living for that next life. And the older you get, the more that life gets closer and the more you want to see your family, your friends there. So what we do now matters for eternity. When we have church services, we want to encourage you, but we want to prepare you for that because we want to see our family on the other side. Now I'm going to ask, before we close in prayer, I want to, we're going to take some time. If you can come up, we're going to pray for you. You all know it's been a rough time. Some of you have been through the same very, very same thing. In fact, I'm going to ask those of you who have been through this to come up and pray with us. Marlene. Shirley, Dick, Leon, Judy. What did Anna say? This is a, a club that nobody wants to join. Yep. That's right. <laughs> but everybody does sooner or later. Yeah. But we're going to get there eventually. That's right. Now, if you would stand, the rest of you stand. Just extend your hand toward Gil right now. Father, we just come to you this morning. We're humbled that you love us and you care for us. And Lord, we understand in this life we're going to suffer tribulation. We know it. But your word says you've overcome the world. So I pray for Gil right now. And I pray for all those who have lost family members and loved ones in the past that even through this time of the year, it may have been years, but it still matters. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would give them a joy and a peace that passes their ability to have understanding. That no one understands why they have peace at this particular moment. And they're able to share what Jesus had done for them during this hard time. We're thankful that we have a God we can come to and crawl up in your lap and say, Dad, I, I, I need your help. I can't handle this today. I, I, I can't. And the Bible says we cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And he will take those burdens from you. But we have to let him do it. So I pray for Gil and all of those who have lost family members and loved ones that God, you would take their burden from them this, this morning. Allow them to experience the peace that comes from trusting you, knowing that we have a blessed hope that we're looking forward to, that we will see Marion, and we will see every one of our loved ones who have died in Christ. We will see them again. We thank you for that hope that gets us through these difficult times. We trust you for it. So Lord, I commit Gil and everyone here 
who are struggling with the same situation, and whatever the difficulty might be, that, Lord, you would give them an encouragement through this season. Allow them to know you love them today, and allow them to trust you in every situation, to keep praying and keep trusting and trust you with the outcome. So, Father, I commit Gil and each one of us to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 Would you praise the Lord for what God is going to do? Seven? Seven years? Six. Before we close, you can take some time to pray. If you would just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really experienced that born-again thing that we talk about in churches. You've never come to Christ to ask for forgiveness of your sins. There's a reason that we offer this every Sunday. And it's not just for happiness right now. It is for eternal life that when this life is over. And that God gives us the ability to endure whatever struggles we go through in this life. And he gives us the ability to have peace through each one of them that only comes from accepting Christ as your Savior. It doesn't come from the things in your life because the things in your life will eventually be gone. But Jesus said nothing can take you out of his hand. Nothing you can do, nothing the world can do to take his love away from you. So if you're here this morning, you've never really had that experience where you've trusted Christ. You've come to the cross and said, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner And I know that the only way that I'm going to ever be with you in a paradise is to accept the gift that your son did for me. He paid what I should pay. All the sins I've committed, I should wind up in hell. But God says, I'm going to send Jesus and he's going to take that punishment for you. The Bible says, as many as receive him, did he give the right to be called children of God? You have to come to the point where you receive that in your life. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to make a choice. When it's presented to you, when the gospel is presented to you, and Jesus is presented to you as your Savior, you have to make a choice to believe it. If you're here and you've never really made that choice, you can't look back at a time in your life where you said, you know, when I was X years old, I made that choice. If you, ha- if you can't do that, and the Bible says These things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're not sure, then this is the time to get right. What better time than the Christmas season to get right with God? So if you're here and you want to do that, I want you to raise your hand because we're going to pray with you and help you on your road to becoming a faithful Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and church is kind of a hit and miss for you. You know, you don't seem to get much out of it or things always come up. The reason that God instituted the church is because it's important for the people. You come and you get blessed or maybe you can be the blessing to somebody else. 
There's a reason that God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Sure, you can watch it on TV. You can watch it later in the week. But there's a dynamic that God does in a church setting that he can't do by watching it online. And I want to encourage you this Christmas season and as the new year begins, you want to be a part of what God is going to do in the future. God may use you for something that is extraordinary and spectacular in the life of somebody else or maybe even in your life. That God does something through you that he won't do through somebody else. And the only way to receive that benefit, to receive that gift, to receive that ability to be used by God is in a corporate setting. And it doesn't have to be through the sermon, but maybe through the prayer, maybe through conversation before church or after church, maybe in class, maybe when you go out to eat after church, God can use you in a powerful way to really meet the needs of that person you're talking to or praying with. That's all the reason behind the gifting of the Spirit, that God can use everybody in a way that only God can do to meet the needs and the hurts of somebody else. And maybe you're the one that's going to receive the blessing in your hurt. So Father, I pray for each person here that they really understand the importance of what it means to come together as a body of believers, to lift each other up, to get prepared for the rest of the week where you get washed in God's word, get washed in God's spirit, and be sent out to live in this world as a believer, enduring whatever the world has to offer, and then coming back and being refreshed the next Sunday. And I pray that your spirit encourages us every day. Allow us to experience the power of God in our life every day. Not just Sundays, but it's available every day. So Father, I commit each person here to you to that end. Allow them to sense your presence. Sense the moving of the spirit in their lives. And understand that they are a vital part of what God you are doing in society today. There are no bench warmers, Father, in God's kingdom. Everyone is first string. So, Lord, I pray your blessings upon them in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We've got 12 o'clock right in the nose, man.